This is the Thera Podcast, hosted by Drs. Martin Wesley and David Whittinghill. Welcome to another edition of the Thera Podcast. I am Dr. Martin Wesley, and our other host of our program is David, uh, Dr. David Whittinghill. Uh, how you doing, David? Good, Martin. Good to be here. Yeah. Good to hear from you. Uh, it's been a whole week. We haven't even talked. There's so many things going on in the world. Um, I know. I, that Maybe that's the problem. We haven't been talking enough, and then the whole world goes to pieces. Who knows? <laughs> you don't even know what to say to that, do you? <laughs> no. Well, I was listening to the House uh, vote when uh, before. Uh, yeah. The, so I got wrapped up uh, in that today. Yeah. And, but we have a really special guest today. Um, uh, Dr. Rick Balkin is with us today. Uh, how you doing, Rick? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, well, it's good. Um, yeah, Rick, uh, or I should say Dr. Balkin, but I think we're just going to call you Rick if, if that's all right with so, you. Sounds good um, to me. Marty. <laughs> yeah, that Marty works too. Um, he's a professor and department chair of leadership and counselor education. And he's a coordinator of educational research and design in the School of Education at the University of Mississippi. Uh, he's served in so many roles, including the editor-in-chief for the Journal of Counseling and Development. Uh, he has been an ACA fellow for many years. He's a past president of the Association of Assessment and Research. Uh, Rick has just got, I mean, I could go on and on and on about him, but one of the greatest things is he's just produced uh, publication after publication, over a hundred publications, and written several books uh, related to, uh, to counseling, to counselor education, research, uh, and, and that's what I think is so special right now, at least for me, is that I see you actually moving, not moving away from counseling, but I would say writing to a general audience, especially uh, uh, on the subject of, uh, of forgiveness, which is fascinating. So, yes, tell us about that. I'm, I'm curious about your change moving away from, you know, sort of a, a trade uh, you know, journals uh, and related specifically to counselor education and moving more. Uh, not, I mean, again, it's still related to counseling, but at the same yeah. time, it's sort of moving away to a general audience. So. Yeah, and and well, well, thanks for that. And and, and so uh, the book that you're referring to is "Practicing Forgiveness: A Path Towards Healing," and it was written for a general audience, but it was also written for clinicians who are working with clients and who are struggling with these issues of, of, of forgiveness. And so I think that uh, people who have just are interested in the topic, how do I forgive? Uh, they, they've been drawn to this, uh, but so have clinicians who work with a lot of clients who experience trauma and have difficulty moving forward uh, with it, which is understandable. Right. Um, you know, but yeah. even my even my research and my interest uh, and my interest uh, initially in in adolescent counseling uh, for adolescents in crisis, it's all been drawn from my clinical experience. Right. You know, um, you know when I worked uh, on an adolescent unit in a psychiatric hospital, and we were struggling with insurance companies who were saying 
to discharge kids prematurely. Um, and we'd watch this this revolving door of psychiatric care occur because we weren't able to treat kids for an appropriate length of stay to get them stable and keep them from regressing back to their previous high risk behavior when they when they left the hospital. And so that line of research was based off of, of my frustration with that experience. Um, you know, and, you know, is what we're doing effective in counseling? That was, you know, that, that was my interest in research and, uh, and, and, and how we connect with our clients. And then um, this issue with forgiveness came directly out of my clinical experience and this, the struggle with a particular client um, that had been sexually abused by her father and the mother was being unsupportive to her daughter and uh uh and so this 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 struggle with forgiveness as i've started to to tell the story um resonated with clinicians and it'd be funny i would go to uh the american counseling association national conference and i'd present on adolescent counseling outcomes or therapeutic goals necessary for adolescents to improve in counseling and be stable and i'd get like six people in the presentation and i'd show up and talk about forgiveness and introduce this conceptual model because that's what it was. It was it was an idea initially, and I'd right. have 120 people in the room, and I realized how much this resonated with with clinicians and with counselors. And I thought I need to do more in this area, and it, it, this can't just be an idea. This has to be um, an empirically supported model. And so I sought right. out to. Uh, to get evidence and then to examine forgiveness across cultures. And it's just been this um, wonderful journey, you know, where I accumulated this research and, and, and until I got to the point of, you know what? I think I have something to say. And I, I want to be able to say it to counselors, but I also want to be able to say it to people who are struggling in this area. And that was the impetus for the book. So, Rick, I'm yeah. very familiar with your work and assessment, and I was probably one of the six in the room on outcomes. So, yeah. um, at any rate, I, your work was remarkable, and it always has been when it comes to assessment, and you've written books about that. Um, and so now you're on uh, on this on this forgiveness piece. And I, as I'm, as we're sitting here talking, I'm wondering if you could kind of give people an idea, kind of a, an overview of, about what the book's about and, um, and basically tell them what it is, what it's about, how it could benefit them or not. Sure. Um, let me go into the story a little bit to answer that question, because what, brought me on this journey was a client I worked with uh, and I call her Sheila and Sheila was 16 years old and as I mentioned before she was abused by her father and Sheila tells her school counselor that she's being sexually abused by her dad and mm -hmm. the school counselor does everything a school counselor is supposed to do she gets the information from Sheila she files a report 
and um, an investigation ensues. Uh, the father is removed from the home. Um, and when the father's removed from the home, Sheila's mom looks at Sheila and says, you're destroying our family. And this is where Sheila, um, yeah, yeah. This is where Sheila becomes suicidal and gets admitted into a psychiatric hospital. And that's, that's my, um, my introduction to Sheila. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I ran a survivor's focus group in the hospital. I worked with a lot of, uh, abused patients. We call them patients in the hospital, not clients because they're in the hospital. Right. Um, and, uh, this case stuck out for a few reasons. One is I had to go testify in court and, um, And that was a whole story. But then I'm doing the family session and I'm I'm talking to the mom in the family conference room. And I said, what your daughter needs most right now is support. And mom is nodding her head in agreement. I'm like, great, we're on the same page. Let me bring your daughter in. And if you can imagine the family conference room um, at a in a, you know, in a therapy center, but in a psychiatric hospital, it's got sofas, it's got chairs. I have to go on a locked unit and bring the client into this room and I bring Sheila in. And usually you would see a, a parent sit on the sofa with their kid, mm-hmm. but that yeah. doesn't happen here. Sheila goes to the couch. The mom goes to a chair near me. And the first words out of the mom's mouth were, you know, as a Christian, you have to forgive him. And I would love to tell you all that I sat with that for a moment and I thought carefully about my next words, but, but I didn't. Um, mom says, you know, as a Christian, you have to forgive him. And I immediately look at the mom and I say, wouldn't that be convenient for you? And mom looks at me like, what did you just say? And I said, well, then you don't have to choose between your daughter's disclosure and your husband's denial. If she forgives him, it can just be swept under the rug, can't it? Right. Um, So as you might imagine, that family session doesn't go very well. And uh, Sheila doesn't have the support of her mom. She's not going to go home. And people think, you know, wow, Sheila must have really appreciated your support. Sheila was watching everything she knew get torn apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there wasn't this, wow, thank you moment between Sheila and I. Um, This was, I have to protect my client and Sheila's, you know, going to have to learn a very, very hard lesson that sometimes things get worse before they get better. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and that nothing that she's been familiar with is going to continue. You know, she's not going to go back home. She's going to go live with other family members. Um, and it, it, it was a very difficult case. And what the mom said to me really caught me off guard for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, as a Christian, you have to forgive him. I mean, is that even true? I don't know. I'm Jewish. Um, and, uh, it, it, 
you know, yeah, but for I, all these reasons. Yeah, no, I, was just, reasons. I, I was just thinking, you know, again, that religiosity really comes into play here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, you know, like you say, Jew, you know, you being Jewish and then, of course, so many people here, especially in this country, are coming from a, this you know, Christian worldview right. of a total exoneration. And, and uh, you know, I'll just challenge you, Rick, because I'll go to Isaiah. <laughs> I'll go to the Hebrew scriptures and I'll just say this. Uh, Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's the point. They, they, many times people are, you know, in a religious community are being told, hey, you got to forgive like God forgives. And you've got to, you know, literally make it white as snow. And that's, I think, a major challenge. You know, but uh, <laughs> that's not always what the law says. Yeah, and, oh, I uh, agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah tell us. And, and um, <laughs> you know, what was interesting is five years later, uh, I've gone through my doctoral program. I've taken my first academic position. We've moved to North Texas. Uh, I've joined a new synagogue. And it's my first Yom Kippur, uh, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day mm -hmm. of the Jewish year. It's my mm -hmm. first Yom Kippur uh, at um, this new synagogue. And we're fasting. And instead of going home and staring at the refrigerator in between morning and afternoon service, I go and uh, to a study group. And the study group was on the Jewish conceptualization of forgiveness. And there's three types of forgiveness in Judaism. Um, there's kapara. And kapara refers to uh, spiritual forgiveness, the forgiveness that only God can give. Um, for example, during the Inquisition, when Jews were forced to convert or be executed, um, they converted because there's nothing holier in Judaism than life. But they continued to practice Judaism in secret. And so uh, they would ask God for forgiveness for the, the oath they have broken. And that, that's, that, that's Kapara. <laughs> There's a silicha, and silicha is restitutional forgiveness. I borrowed your lawnmower, I broke your lawnmower, I repaired your lawnmower. We're good. But there are some types of offenses that you can't make restitution of. Slander. Like, like, right. And like neglect. Sexual abuse. Yeah. Abuse. That once it's, once it's been incurred, it, it cannot be taken back. Right. Yeah. And, uh, there's a, a Hebrew word called mechila, which means to wipe away debt. What I want from you, I'm not going to get. Or what I wanted from you, I didn't get. And you can't make it right. So you don't owe it to me anymore. Yeah. I don't expect anything from you. You don't owe it any, to me anymore. We're good. All right. White as snow, right, Marty? And uh, yeah. Well, you, you, let me tell you a story there, too. I, okay. you know, again, especially around the religiosity, I, I remember specifically there, I was living in Arizona at the time, and there was a killing that had happened at a, uh, a pastor's, uh, it was a friend of mine. <clears throat> and, um, 
you, you probably recognize the name, William, uh, Robert William Fisher. Uh, mm -hmm. He killed his entire family, burnt the house to the ground. He was on the number one on the, I think the FBI most wanted list, but there for a while. I don't think they've ever found him. But anyways, the church came out within the next few days and the family, uh, you know, that, that had lost their entire family was wiped out, uh, except for the, I think the grandparents. And they said, I know we're here to forgive. And I, and I just want, you know, Robert to know that we forgive him. That had such a bad taste in my mouth. I couldn't, it just drove me crazy to think one it's, I don't think that's possible. And two, do they not understand the way that's perceived by the entire other rest of the world? How sick that was to forgive someone at that point who wasn't even asking for it, but mm -hmm. literally annihilated their entire family. Yeah, you, you know, a, a couple things. One is there's a difference between decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness. The decision yeah. that I want to forgive versus being emotionally re ready for that. Right, good point. But yeah, but in the case that I was like, you know, suggesting, you know, where, this idea of mechirah, to wipe away debt. Just because you wipe away debt, just because I've released you of anything that I feel like I was owed, doesn't mean I have to reconcile with you. Right. And that's, that's the, the, the principle of the book, that a lot of books about forgiveness tend to only focus on the interpersonal forgiveness. How right. do we repair our relationships? Where... I differed and where my model was different is I spend just as much time looking at intra-personal forgiveness, forgiveness within oneself where we say, you know what, what I want from you, I'm not going to get and I don't expect it anymore. And when I release you of that debt, I also release myself of the burden of expectation. It's right. okay that we're done mm -hmm. all right you might not be remorseful you might not have changed you might not be a healthy person for me to be around and so you know but i'm not going to walk around with this burden anymore i'm not going to walk in you know at some point in time even sheila we don't we believe as clinicians that one day sheila could even after being abused by her father, even after not being supported by her mother, that one day she could wake up and be a healthy person, that she could wake up and not be angry, that she could wake up and not be hurt. It's mm -hmm. gonna be a tough journey to get there, but don't we as clinicians, isn't that what we're striving for? That the people who have been traumatized most can heal and if that's true, if we believe that, then there has to be a process of healing that does not include having to confront the person who puts you in harm's way, that you can move on without them um, and still be healthy. And, and so that forgiveness doesn't have to be defined by an act of renegotiation of a relationship. It can be defined as a grieving of the relationship that you do not have and an ability to move on without feelings of ill will. 
Mm-hmm. I'll follow you. And so for Sheila, you would say what to her? So I developed this model of four phases. Um, and the first phase is collaborative exploration. The idea that we talk about our pain with someone. Can be with a counselor, can be with a mentor, mm-hmm. can be with um, it could be with grandma. It you talk about the pain and 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 we all know about the the research on catharsis that just the idea of talking about it can bring can 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 can, can, can bring about healing. Sure. Um, and I I always say to folks who, who who don't buy that I say, have you ever? had a pain that is so hard that you can't even mention it. And then what ultimately happens is that at some point you do. The idea of the unmentionable becoming mentionable is an element of healing. It goes from a 10 to a 9. It, it goes down a step so that you can begin dealing with it. And once we begin talking about how I feel towards the personal event that caused this harm. I can then begin to look at my culture, my beliefs, what I know, what I feel about the role of reconciliation. Because sometimes reconciliation is beneficial. You know, um, and, you know, marital infidelity. We do couples counseling. And we've seen couples get past it. We've even seen them become stronger. But not every couple that's going to happen. All right. So sometimes reconciliation is beneficial. And the person who was the offender has demonstrated remorse and change, and you can renegotiate the relationship. And so those are one 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 level of this that reconcil the role of reconciliation is beneficial. The offender has demonstrated remorse and change and you can renegotiate the relationship. Or after exploring your feelings, one of two things happens. One is you believe that reconciliation is beneficial, mm-hmm. but the person hasn't demonstrated any remorse and change. Right. They're still harmful. They're still dangerous. Or reconciliation is not beneficial. You recognize that this person's unhealthy. You don't want to talk to them. And so you end up in the same spot. Whether the person is not remorseful or whether you've said reconciliation is not beneficial, you're going to be you're going to be in a place where you're going to have to process those unresolved feelings, the that you bring you know, processing that 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 debt of what's owed to you. Right. And from there, from that, from that process of grief, you'll move into this intrapersonal forgiveness. I didn't get what I wanted from this person. And therefore, my forgiveness is, is not going to be a renegotiation of the relationship. It's going to be an understanding and a coming to terms with that what I want from this person I'm never going to get. And I have to release this debt. Yeah. And, you know, and so the four phases of collaborative exploration, the role of reconciliation, the remorse and change of the offender, 
and the uh, outcome of either an interpersonal renegotiation or an intrapersonal mechira, forgiveness of debt, right. is, is the process we take this client. That's fascinating to me. I, you know, to me, I, I, like you say, I see many situations where our humanity might get in the way. You know, I trip over someone. Mm-hmm that can be easily forgiven and again in a sense we all make mistakes because we're human beings and we can look at the person and say they didn't mean to their humanity got in the way or it was just a one-time incident they're very remorseful we can let that go completely and so there is that like you say that version of of forgiveness that is out there uh and then there's like you say this middle ground i i i've sort of called it forbearance in a sense where you know you're not letting it eat you away but at the same time hey trust has not been established and i'm still trying to think this out and then i i love it the way you say this mechala and i'm probably butchering the way I, I, I gotta, gotta make that sound money. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> but you know, usually make that sound something comes up yeah yeah i, yeah. I gotta be careful of that um <laughs> but but yeah the, that idea of release um is so important for a lot of people. And, uh, and and again, maybe they can see the world completely different and not be burdened by the expectations of their religion, of their, of their uh, culture and so forth, and family, like in the example of Sheila, like you're saying. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm yeah. also curious about another element, if you don't mind going there yet, uh, yeah. and we can explore all of this, but I, I'm also exploring, you know, I'm curious about not forgiveness. You know, there, there may be, is there places, is there times where you do not forgive? And and I'm thinking specifically, we're you know, and 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 I probably want to ask you, like, how can we not ask you about what's going on in the Middle East right now? It's awful, um, what's happening. And I remember, you know, the 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 statement that I, I wrote down specifically: we will not forget, we will not forgive. And that was one of the statements that was out there um how you know what where is this power that sometimes in that it seems like is embedded in not forgiving at times you know um anger sometimes gets a bad rap yeah good point um anger (laughs) propelled the civil rights movement exactly you know so um anger can get us to do a lot of things but I also believe that anger is a secondary emotion to fear. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a psychiatrist I worked with used to give this really basic example of fox hunting, and that you would—and uh, I've never done gone fox hunting—but apparently you get on horses and you chase a fox, and mm-hmm. you chase the fox and. The, the fox sees the horses coming after it and and runs and eventually the fox gets cornered and when it gets cornered it turns around shows off its fangs and gets and gets into an attack posture mm-hmm. against a horse mind you <laughs> all right yeah. so you know why did the fox run the fox ran because it was afraid why does the fox turn around and fight? Because now it's angry. Mm-hmm. And so 
this idea that, you know, if, if I think about civil rights, you know, why did why did black Americans get angry? Well, of course we know why, but what was underlying was the fear of, we can't continue to live like this. Right. What if this never changes? You know? Um, and so when I look at Israel, and particularly this most brutal attack by Hamas, where 260 civilians were killed at a music concert. Yeah, it's um, horrific. Infants have been beheaded. Um, women were raped, kidnapped, placed on trucks and paraded around and spit on. You know, right? This is not the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This is Israel going to war with Hamas, a terrorist organization. And they're never going to change. And there is genuine fear. You know, this is a group that strapped on bombs, went into communities and blew themselves up to kill civilians. You know, this is unlike any terror that 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 we encounter in the United States. Right. You know, to, especially to not at this, this scale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so in, in this in this particular what happened on October 7th has never happened in my lifetime. Mm. You know, so I. You know. Uh, we don't forgive when we are genuinely fearful of what happens and you know um and when we constantly have to be on guard for our own self-protection you know that's a hard place to you know you're not going to renegotiate a relationship there because there's been no remorse and change from the offender and, you know, certainly uh, I'm not going to let go of my feelings of ill will, because if I do, I can become complacent mm -hmm. and put myself in a harmful or dangerous situation. Um, so, you know, the idea that, you know, we must forgive, well, Sometimes it's human and natural and normal not to. Right. And, uh, you know, imagine if, uh, you know, imagine if um, a person who has suffered from uh, abuse by a family member, um, let's just say that person um, gets prosecuted, goes to jail, serves their time, and is released and attends a family gathering, mm -hmm. you know, you know, should this person be forgiving? Oh, you've done your time. It's okay. No. All right. You're on edge. All right. And that fear, you know, that defense mechanism has a purpose. And whenever we talk about that, I talk about this in the book that, 
you know, before we do away with the defense mechanism, maybe we need to take time to understand it so that we can see why it's there. Sometimes defense mechanisms are healthy. Right. Right. What it reminds me of, Rick, is what comes to my mind is that with Sheila and Marty's question about Israel, about forgiveness, is too soon. So Sheila's mother's request for forgiveness at that point was too soon. She hadn't been given the opportunity to, she she needed to hang on to her anger for, for that particular time because dad was dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I can see that there's a, there's a transition in this forgiveness, um, the phases of forgiveness. If, sure. if that's a, if that's a thing, but at the same time, there's a you're like the case you're making. There is also there's there's a, a place where you unburden yourself from the person, but still remain. I don't know. Maybe it's not angry, but cautious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to take it even one step further because you were talking about fear and fear of oneself uh, and or family or whatever, too. But I also there's almost, OK, let me throw it out this way. I think that there's almost an element that forgiveness and a lot or, you know, done especially just for relieving oneself of the negative emotions can be not only selfish, but almost immoral um, because we are not considering others that could be impacted by the damage of that individual's, um, uh, you know, acts. And mm-hmm. and again, it, it, you know, it, it's it's like saying, hey, I just don't want to be bothered by, you know, the, the idea that, you know, someone's raped and they won't go. Uh, to testify against them. And and I, I agree with you. There's that fear of themselves, but also they need to at least try to balance the potential of the harm that person could do to potentially unknown, you know, other victims. Yeah. Um, yeah it's not I mean, easy. It's complex. It, yeah. It, forgiveness is complex. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is absolutely complex. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's been very interesting with, with this model that um, it's resonated with a lot of people. Uh, yeah. This idea that uh, to separate reconciliation from forgiveness, to understand that these are two separate entities. Right. Um, you know, uh, to define forgiveness uh, as a withdrawal of feelings of ill will but yet to still hold separate that now I can renegotiate this relationship or I can go it alone. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's ideal. And so, uh, uh, in the and book, rene- uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that renegotiation can actually include setting up parameters. You give me your phone, your passwords on your phone, things like that. Right. I'm assuming what you mean right. by that. Yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, you know, I, I get ridiculous with it a little bit. I give two very pop culture examples, um, you know, Star Wars, you know, um, you know, Darth Vader's a bad dude, destroys planets, kills baby Jedi, all right? Um, but um, 
when the evil emperor decides he's going to kill Darth Vader's son, Darth Vader decides, nope, not today, and picks up the emperor and throws him into, uh, uh, I don't know, some type of like nuclear furnace. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, we think he's dead, but he's not. He's going to come back 30 years later. But at that moment, right. he's dead. And, uh, and Darth Vader is going to then take off his helmet, look at his son with his own eyes, die and become a force ghost, whatever that is. So, you know, great story about forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah. On the other hand, you have Harry Potter. Harry Potter goes up against the Dark Lord Voldemort, the Dark Wizard, and uh, he kills Voldemort in the end. And Voldemort's never sorry. And Voldemort killed a lot of people. He killed Harry's parents. Harry's parents don't magically come back. All right. And yet, at the same time, you don't end the story without thinking that, you know what? Harry finds love. Harry finds family. Harry finds belonging. He's going to be okay. And right. so this idea of, you know, being able to heal despite horrible transgressions against us um, and not being angry. These are, you know, what Jung describes archetypes, right? right. These, these, these mm -hmm. stories and themes that repeat themselves in our lives. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're ridiculous examples based on fiction, but that they're real and well as well. They resonate with us. The idea sure. of reconciling with somebody who's, been a really bad individual or the idea of figuring out how to move on despite adversity mm -hmm. you know? and that to me is what what this forgiveness model is about that it can it, it can incorporate both of those processes and right. and it's context bound that we are not forgiving people or unforgiving people but it depends on the context um you're in a relationship for three months and the person cheats on you, you might be like, I'm done with this. But what if you've been married for 20 or 30 years? Oh, we have kids. We have commingled finances. We have this history. You know what? We need to fix this. Right. You know, it's not, you know, um, I, I, I give a I give an example where, um, um, a uh, your son or daughter brings home um, a friend and the friend steals $20 out of your wallet and you go, that person's never allowed in our house again. Mm -hmm. But what if the person who came into the house with your son or daughter was your nephew or niece? Oh, now we've got to have a talk. Mm -hmm. You see the same offense, but the context matters. Yeah. And so, you know, the neat thing about this model is it's not universal. It's how do I work through each situation and each situation is different. Well, you bring, you know, that's an interesting illustration because I could see that, you know, for example, um, with a niece or, or nephew, I could see potentially that the person that was in that role of forgiving or not forgiving or negotiating could also be concerned about the the uh, the enabling 
uh, where they may not be as concerned about the enabling with the other person. Ah, heck with them, that's somebody else's responsibility. I'll just let it go. But with their own, you know, there may be less forgiveness, if that makes any sense. But the issue is, is they're concerned about the future and allowing them to continue that behavior in, in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. It, Fascinating. It, it, yeah. It, well, like I said, you know, the context matters and Absolutely. it can be the same offense, but who did it and what transpired? You, yeah. We, we don't have to have this set standard of this is how I respond in these situations. It, it, it can be fluid. It can change. Right. I, I got to ask you one last one, you know, as we're sort of winding down. But one thing I'm curious about, I'm sure David probably has more, too, but is sort of an ab abstract if it, you know, so here we've been talking about forgiving people. And yet I, I just now pulled up a, a news article from what's going on in the in the Middle East right now. And and this is the, the headline. It says, I need to ask God why. You know, and again, what's going on in Israel and Gaza and so forth. And and so how uh, there's sometimes tragedy happens and there's this, you know, existential crisis that many people go through during this time. And there's almost a lack of forgiving God, you know, and I'm not saying we're defending God or anything like that, but but people being placed in that position. And, you know, how do they how do they work through that? What would you recommend? Yeah. Um. It, that's such a tough one. I, I remember doing a presentation on forgiveness. Yeah, and the person came up to me afterwards and says, you know, should we forgive the Holocaust? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, Phew. you know, wow. You know, um, yeah, because I, they, I thought, there's no forgiving. We don't say we, we forgive a no, historical right. event. They're, they're really talking about an existential yeah. Or even maybe yeah. human, you know, human, yeah. you know, or being human or our or yeah. frailties. I don't know. You know, yeah. so, you know, it, I, I, I struggle with this question. Um, yeah. And when I look at my model, um, there is one part of it that I think is, is, is relevant. And that is, what do I do when I don't get what I want? And, you know, especially when the, what I want was safety, security, you know, those are, you know, um, those are, you know, such important elements. And, you know, how do I work through this grieving process of what I want and what I might even deserve? I didn't get, um, you know, uh, my brother went through Katrina, you know, um, it was traumatic for him and his family. I, I really was. And, um, you know, you know, what did he want? He wanted to be back in his own home, <laughs> you know, he didn't want to be displaced. Um, and certainly, I mean, we can say, you know, you were lucky. You had the resources, the insurance. All, all. You got to go back. You got to rebuild. But it was still horrible. And mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, I, I, and, and so um, it, it, I look at him today. He's, you know, I no doubt 
what what transpired had an impact on him, may still have an impact on him, but he seems at peace. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to rebuild something. And so I think there's elements of the model um, where we talk about, you know, it may not be a renegotiation of a relationship, but a rebuilding of our lives that right. it, it gets replaced with. Um, my model is more relational in nature, admittedly. And so I think that when you remove the relationship and it becomes much more of an existential crisis, right. um, you know, that might be something I have to look that, at that's, in the future. That's, I, that's book, got 15, book two. I, yeah, I've got 15 more years in this career. I, I can do it. <laughs> okay, besides that book two, what, what else are you working on related to forgiveness? Because I know you're a research guy and uh, you, um, you work in... You expanding on that? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I, I've got a study right now on uh, looking at the relationship of how we how we how we feel about you know when we engage in in forgiveness, karma, and revenge. Mm. You know, and I use the term karma very loosely, um, but this idea that sometimes bad things happen to us, and we want to. We want to get back at them, mm. you know, mm. um, you know, um, you know, think about any sporting event that you go to, you know, you know, somebody scores and okay, let's get it back. You know, um, you know, that to be victorious, we must come out on top and, uh, you know, um, and so, you know, Revenge in various forms is, is 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 something that that we do and that we engage in, um, you know, karma, this idea that sometimes people harm us and they get what they deserve and we didn't have to do anything, hmm. you know, and then this idea of sometimes people do things to me and I withhold those feelings of ill will. I withdraw those feelings of ill will and I move past it. And so I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of how people respond differently in, you know, when they engage, when they engage in forgiveness, karma and revenge, mm. you know, I look, and so, look uh, forward to it. yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, my, my hypothesis, you know, when I think about times when I got somebody back, you know, in my life, or when they, when I think about times when people got what they deserve, honestly, I, I, I kind of sit back and uh, I grin a little bit. You know, <laughs> oh, they got what they deserved. I didn't have to mm-hmm. do anything, you know. Um, you know, or I didn't take that lying down. I was able to give it back. You know, I, you know, a sense of pride, a sense of justice versus having to forgive that the feelings that often go with that is, is this was hard because this mm. hurt. Right. And, you know, so why are we, you know, so, so maybe the emotions that we experience with forgiveness are harder, which might suggest why it's a more difficult process. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I love that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. 
Anything yeah. from you, David? Any questions, yeah. thoughts? No, you took mine. So that's good. Uh, I stole it? Yeah. You, will you forgive me? Yes, I will. Yeah. <laughs> By the problem. way, that Rick, was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got to got to be part of this. <laughs> You know, yeah, that could go, go go in the preamble of of the episode. You know, you know, you know, Marty transgresses David, and David forgives him at the end. You know, <laughs> the, the only thing I wanted to say here at the end of what Rick was the the piece of the model that that resonates the most with me and the clients that I've worked with have been mostly. Um, either abused or they are substance users who have been abused. Mm-hmm. And most of the times, um, the individual who was the abuser is no longer around. Yeah. They've died, they've moved on, or they're in another country, whatever. And so the, the client needs some way to, to unshackle themselves from all the anger and fear that they have. And so this, the model that you have and the, and the stories that you tell, I, I think give me a better way of explaining the process. When we're talking about debt, I think that helps a client yeah. conceptualize better how to, uh, of what they actually need to do, rather than me just saying, you just need to forgive because those are just words. But when I compare it to forgive a debt, then that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, trying to come from a strength based approach when I work with clients as opposed to one of pathology. Um, sometimes a good, a good question I've asked clients is, is tell me about a time when you didn't get what you wanted and you were able to move past it because we've all experienced that and when we do um we can uh go okay you know what i've done this before maybe not at this level Mm -hmm. but i've done this before i have coped with the frustration when i don't get what i want and you know and darn it, I, I, I deserved it. You know, I just, you, yeah. know, you know, you know, you know, especially when it's when, when it's things, basic needs like love and support, um, mm-hmm. you know, how, you know, how would your life have been different had you had that love and support and you didn't get mm-hmm. it and, and that hurts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so. Well, Rick, there is something you need to forgive me for. I, I, I'll just throw that out. I, okay. You know, I think I think you forgave me in the past. I don't know. It's probably been eating away at you. And I say eating away because I had you over once uh, to do presentations. And in my ignorance, I ended up taking a Jewish man to a a pit barbecue. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> where... where I, I think the only thing was uh, <laughs> was no. bacon and, and good uh, yeah. pork. Um, and I'm telling you, I felt like I was the stupidest man on earth but because I did that. But at the same time, you were the most gracious person. And but I wanted to show you something that was yeah. sort of local and, you know, sort of a big hit. And but anyways, 
Will you, you forgive know, me on that one? Well, I, I absolutely, <laughs> but, but you know, it, 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 it never resonated with me because, uh, you know, you have basically three major branches of Judaism, the Orthodox, the Conservative, and the Reform, and I'm in the latter, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Reform movement, um, which uh, is probably the most liberal in terms of uh, adherence to Jewish law. Uh, I grew up as a Jew in the South. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I never kept kosher. And, uh, you know, um, and I knew Jews who did keep kosher and they had to get all their meat from Memphis, uh, which was two and a half hour drive at that time. Um, maybe it's close to two hours now. Uh, and now you have Amazon Prime. But um, yeah, I, 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 I grew up in the South. I grew up uh, in, you know, n- not in a kosher home. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly, um, uh, and very well, uh, assimilated, uh, <laughs> there's a few traditions I keep, um, but, uh, uh, the dietary ones, um, are not one of them. So, <laughs> so good, no. good old bacon, BLT sandwiches. All right. Sometimes. You know anyway. what? Um, BLT sandwich for me. <laughs> is all right and you can even have a shrimp cocktail on the uh uh as the appetizer but um yeah yeah so uh, you know that's that's for me and of course if there are any conservative or orthodox jews or reformed jews who keep kosher you're like you know oh you should not have said that um yeah but you know i heard um but yeah there's uh, a, a lot of jews in the south who have not grown up under under uh, kosher law. Um, my yeah. my grandparents kept kosher. Neither my parents kept kosher. Uh, my grandparents kept kosher. Um, my dad did not eat pork chops, but he did eat bacon. Um, and I think the only reason he didn't eat pork chops is because lamb chops taste better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Well, thank you, Rick. Yeah. Thank you, Rick, so much. This was been this has been great. It's, uh... Thank yeah. you. Well, Thank you. Hey, can, can I plug the book one more time? Sure. No, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll even you'll even hold it up. But I was going to say, yeah, practicing forgiveness, a path toward healing. And again, it's yeah. everywhere. I, I, I even in uh, for Audible um, yes. in, a, in an audio book. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah. what else yeah. do you want to say about it? You know, that it's the greatest you know book around. I'm you sure. You know what? Um, it, 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 I, I guess what I would say is that for those folks in the field who know me, um, and you probably know me as a research assessment and stats person, um, this was, this is me. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 this is, this is, um, you know, I, I, I got the, the joy of this book and the hardest part of this book was getting away from the geeky stats professor that I tend to be and getting to introduce Rick, the counselor. And uh, that's been part of my greatest joy in talking about this is getting to show uh, a very different version of myself Um, and not the, uh, not the geeky stats character, but, but the clinician and the counselor um, that, uh, that I feel I am. So, yeah. 
No, yeah, I, it's great. I read it. I thought it was excellent. I, just, I thought it was a just an excellent book. And, and again, I just don't see many people talking about the angles that you went through and the models that you did. So, well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Have a good one, David. See you, Marty.